Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In Aristotle's Poetics, as he is discussing plot, which is the most important aspect of tragedy, according to him, one of the central features of plot is what he calls anagnorisis, and we translate this as recognition, the ana conveying sort of a, a rising up, and the, you know, gnorisis has to do with knowledge. And the way that he's actually going to define it is precisely that, a change a metabole, going from one state to another, in this case of ignorance, agnoias, to knowledge, gnosis of something. So going from not knowing to knowing. And it doesn't mean having absolute knowledge. It could be just enough to be able to figure out who people are and what's what, right? And we'll talk about the objects of it in a moment. But he, he tells us two other things that are really important. It's not just like any sort of transformation of ignorance to knowledge, like say the process of learning things in class, although, you know, it could result in that depending on who we're talking about. But more importantly, it leads to either, he says, friendship, philia, or the, its opposite, enmity or hatred or rivalry of each other, ekthra, right? Being connected to each other in positive ways or being connected in negative ways. And this happens because you figure out who people actually are. So, oh, you're my long lost brother. Wow. Now we have, you know, love between us as characters when we didn't have this before. Oh, you are the person who actually killed my father. We are enemies now, right? So that can be that. And then it bears upon prosperity or adversity. Literally, it has to do with those matters that concern prosperity or adversity. And those terms here are eutuchian, dustuchian. So not happiness and misery, but, you know, being in a fortunate condition or an unfortunate condition, which could include those, those relationships. And he does tell us a few other things before we launch into the five types that that might be useful to bring up. He tells us that the best or the finest, the most beautiful recognition is that which occurs simultaneously with reversal. And he says that, you know, the kind of thing that we're talking about occurs after a fashion in relation to inanimate and even chance things. But what we're really most interested in here is the kind of recognition that can produce pity or fear that can get us involved emotionally in the plot. And so he's going to talk about five different types a little bit later on. He'll, you know, talk about the first, the second, the third, fourth, and then the best. So there's actually five of them. And these are a day. So these are actual divisions into things that are distinct from each other. So interestingly, the first two, he's going to say are a techno, meaning that they're not artistic is how we translate it. But a better way of understanding it is it's, it's kind of outside of the 
craft of the person who's doing the artistic work, the tragedian in this case, the poet. And one of these is a little bit counterintuitive, as we're going to see in just a moment, calling it outside of the work itself. The first one he actually says, too, is from uninventiveness or a lack of resources, right? The aporion, not knowing what to do well. So it's kind of the sloppy crap work that people who don't really know how to write good tragedy, how to write a good plot will engage in. And so the first type is from what are sometimes translated as tokens, but a better translation would be signs. Dia ton semion. Semion here is of signs, right? So from or of these things. And it is least artistic according to Aristotle. Why? Because it's easy to, to do and it doesn't always make the most sense, but it can be done better or worse. And interestingly, he brings up Homer, who is an epic poet, not a tragedian, and a scene from, well, actually two scenes from the Odyssey in which a recognition, according to signs, is going to take place. A recognition from the sign of a scar. So he tells us that some of these signs are born with us, like the spear, the earthborn bear, and the earthborn are the people who were sown as dragon's teeth and rose out of the earth in Greek legends and stuff like that. Now, those would be things that they actually can be identified by. So you can have a recognition or stars like those that Carcanus uses in Theestes. We're not really quite sure what that means. Others are acquired, he says, and can be divided into the bodily, like scars, things that happen to us. I suppose we would probably in our day include tattoos as well, or brands or whatever else happens to our body, maybe moles or things like that too, right? But then there's external ones. And he gives the example of a necklace or even a boat that little children were kept in. So keepsakes, you know, a locket is, is a very popular one, not in Aristotle's time, but in much later literature. You see that sort of thing and you're like, holy crap, this is this person. I just didn't realize it. And then he goes on, these can be better or worse. You know, Odysseus is differently recognized by his nurse and the swine herd. And then he says that recognition for the sake of proof and all of this type are less artistic but those linked to reversal, like the one in the bath scene, this is when Odysseus's old aged nurse, who's known him since a kid, is bathing him and is like, holy crap, you're Odysseus, because she recognizes a scar, right? Now, the second type is a little bit counterintuitive because he tells us that these are the ones that are contrived by the poet themselves. And it's very interesting language that he's using here. So the poet is poetes, right? So hupo to poetu means by the poet, literally underneath the poet. And then pepoiemenai, right? So this is actually coming from the same root term that we get poet from, poesis, poesai, right? To make, to do, to fabricate to fashion, to produce. And so these are, you could say contrived by the poet, but contrived by the poet in their activity of doing poetry. And he goes on and he says that this too is inartistic. 
It's not according to the techne, right? It's a technoi. And so he gives some examples. Orestes and Iphigenia causes recognition of who he actually is. Iphigenia reveals herself by the letter, but Orestes says, now here's where it gets really interesting, says what the poet, he puts words in Orestes' mouth, right, the poetes, but not the story itself, not what the plot wants him to say. So what's going on here? Aristotle's actually, you know, sort of contra-positioning the poet and the story itself. We typically think of, well, the story is what the poet or the producer, the writer, comes up with. But in this case, the story is already partly there and the poet is supposed to make things fit that story. And this is why it could be less of a good recognition. The third type that he talks about, he says, is through memory, the nemes, right? How does this work? Well, we're reminded of something. Seeing, hearing, maybe even smelling something brings awareness. And he gives you two really interesting cases here. So the case in Dikaeogenes' Cyprians, seeing a painting, the person cries. Why do they cry? Because they, they recognize something in the painting. The painting recalls something to mind. And then he brings up the Odyssey again. Kind of funny because he's talking about tragedy, but he's also talking about epic here. One in Odysseus's tale to Alcinous, hearing the singer, Odysseus is reminded and weeps because he's hearing a story that he himself is kind of connected with, right? So that's a third type of recognition. And this one's a little bit, I mean, it seems like it would be very easy to understand, but the examples aren't actually as apt about, you know, the anagonoresis that we're thinking about here. The fourth one is very interesting for several different reasons. So he says recognition by reasoning. And that's an okay translation. Literally, ex sulugosmu, right? This is the word we get syllogism from. And if you're used to thinking about syllogisms in terms of what we teach in logic, you know, all S is M, all M is P, therefore all S is P. That's one kind of syllogism. But there are many kinds of syllogisms that Aristotle discusses. In the rhetoric, he uses the word syllogism to mean something a bit looser. In the Nicomachean Ethics, there's not only the practical syllogism, but the faculty of anger and desire syllogizes. It puts together arguments. So syllogism can mean something much broader. And we do engage in reasoning based on things. So he talks about in the Kyophorai, that somebody like this person has come. Nobody is like her except Orestes. Therefore, he has come. What is that? That's dealing with necessary stuff. That's a, that's close to the typical syllogism, right? But there's also, like he says, the recognition used by Polydus, the sophist in Iphigenia's case. It was probable, he said, that Orestes should reason his sister had been sacrificed and that his fate was to be sacrificed too, right? So this is probable reasoning. This is echos. This is not necessary reasoning. And then he even talks about mistaken reasoning that people might fall into. Paralogon is, is a way of thinking about it. And then we have a verb, you know, paralogismu, you know, about the theater and about other things as well. And he says that this can be the 
audience's mistaken reasoning, or it can be mistaken reasoning within the play itself. So he says there is compound recognition, which depends on the audience's mistaken reasoning, as in Odysseus, the false messenger, that he and no one else could bend the bow is contrived by the poet and a premise, even if he said he would recognize the bow, which he had not seen, but to have him recognized by this means when he was expected to cause recognition in the other way involves false reasoning. So we can have all kinds of reasoning, reasoning that's actually correct, or we could say valid, reasoning that's probable, and then we can have mistaken reasoning, and this can lead to a recognition of who these characters are. Aristotle then says the best sort of recognition doesn't actually come from any of these. It is arising or ensuing from the events themselves, ex auton ton pragmaton. Pragmaton are the events, the things that are being done. And, you know, Aristotle thinks that the plot is a system, a structure, a composition of these pragmata, these events, right? And so he says that the emotional impact comes from a probable sequence. For example, in Sophocles, Oedipus and the Iphigenia, where it's probable she would want to entrust a letter. Only such recognitions do without contrived tokens and necklaces. And then he sums up, I said, second best are those by reasoning. So we've got a clear order of value, according to Aristotle, the best form of recognition, the most artistic form, the one that's going to produce the effects of tragedy is from the events themselves. Reasoning is good. Memory is good. Messing around with the characters on the, uh, on the part of a poet to sort of demonstrate their own artistry is actually inartistic. And then by signs, hell, anybody can do that, Aristotle would say. It's coming from a lack of talent or resources. So these are the different forms or modes of recognition that Aristotle recognizes himself in Greek tragedy and then lays out in a sort of order of value and effectiveness. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.